What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea, or a deep tissue massage at the spa. Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint. Excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival. Choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey there, podcast listener. Have you ever been listening to Wizard and the Bruiser and thought to yourself, I wish I could see just how fat Jake and Holden are in real life? Don't lie. We know all about your weird inside thoughts, listeners. Well, now you can make that dream a reality because Wizbrew and Page 7 are going on tour. Austin, Dallas, Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis, D.C., Philly, Brooklyn, San Francisco, L.A. Nowhere is safe from an all-new show we're calling Release the Butthole Cut. Ew. Come join your fellow LPN fans for a night of pop culture chaos that's fun for the whole family, assuming your family consists of equally broken weirdos in their 30s. It's going to be a blast. Tickets are on sale right now at lastpodcastnetwork.com. Go, go now. There's VIP meet and greet passes available as well in case you want to get, you know, a little extra close, uh, especially personal. I legally have to clarify that there is no sexual element involved. I mean, unless, you know. Okay, cheese chick. All right, stop winking, all right, buddy? It's Page 7 and Wizard and the Bruiser live. Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com for dates and tickets. Hop in the boat as we take a little tour of Amity over here. That's right. I'm your tour guide, Wizard Holden McNeely. And oh my God, it's a shark! It's a shark! I shoot this ass with a grenade launcher, bro. Yeah, that's right. I weirdly have a grenade launcher, man. Boom. Oh, I missed him, dude. Well, hopefully we'll get him some other way, right? Oh God, a man just fell out of the boat, which really happened, and we'll talk about it. Ignore that guy. Hi, I'm your tram operator, Bruiser Jake, and we're just taking the Roosevelt Island tram. Tramway and oh no, King Kong is breathing <laughs> banana breath on us. Why is this entire theme park based around being in a little car while shit fucking tries to kill you? Uh, this is worse brains. than when there was an earthquake in that other little car that we were riding in, <laughs> then shit went wrong. Don't worry though, we'll go on the Back to the Future ride, which is also about being in a little car where a bunch of shit happens to you. The entire theme park is based on shit happening to you. With a little car. 
It was originally going to be called Little Car Where Things Happen to You, <laughs> The Park, but they changed it to Universal Parks and Resorts, a.k.a. Universal Studios Theme Parks, the group that runs all theme parks for NBC Universal's properties. It originated with Universal Hollywood in the mid-60s and branched out to its larger park in Orlando, Florida in the 90s, where the headquarters are currently located. And there are now parks in Japan, Singapore, and Beijing as well. Jake, start us off with the gush. Holden, can I, can I say the line can i say the line that i know you're gonna say universal does what diz don't yeah what does it mean to be the pepsi to a coca-cola what does it mean (laughs) to be a macintosh to a pc what does it mean to be a second nintendo it means you gotta be hungrier you gotta be edgier you gotta give people some fucked up shit even if it means the entire for an entire month the park is uh run by a murderous clown and it's part of the deep lore of your family amusement park that there's a clown that killed 13 people (laughs) that's just part of your theme park just a whole other part but it universal man there's some about it. I mean, I have uh, in my crew major devotees. I almost feel like we should sit down with Natalie as well. I think we're going to hopefully be tacking on this episode a conversation with Ed, who unfortunately was unable to join us for the episode proper. Ended up getting held up on a special project he's working on. Uh, but you can we will just be talking say to him. eco-terrorism. You can, you'll read <laughs> yes. about it. You'll read about what he started this on. fight club <laughs> and no one can talk about it. And now he's like blowing up build. I don't know what's going on, but but uh, yeah, he of course is a absolute theme parks are resident Disney and theme park specialist who has been several times. Natalie goes like multiple times a year, not just to the Hollywood one because also Henry's fam lives in Florida, so a lot of times they have conveniently figure out a way to also go to the Orlando park as well because she is addicted to Harry Potter World uh, specifically. And so uh, I only yeah. went back in the '90s, and even then, even when I was like a little kid. Universal Studios just seemed cooler. Universal, yeah. like oh, I was yeah. definitely at the age where like Disney stuff was baby stuff, and yeah. I was not a baby. And Universal Studios had like the Nickelodeon Studios, which again, I know I'm not a baby. I like cool uh, grown up stuff like Nickelodeon. No, but you totally are right. It was it was that vibe, and it was so unattainable to me as well. It just felt like this incredible thing I would never get to experience. Because now that I look back on it, my parents that I will be the opposite of this with my child were not really into the whole theme park thing. <laughs> I don't know if I ever went with. I think we all went to Disney when I was a little kid, and we did some of that but they weren't really like theme park people in a way that like Lexi certainly is a theme park person I love it as well uh, as exhausting as it can be I can't wait to take Winnie to Disney and eventually Universal but yeah Universal was like it was like Disney had this vibe of wow you go here this dreamlike place and you'll have these experiences you can't have anywhere else but all but Universal was like holy shit the shark comes after you. There's blood King in the Kong water. At- yeah, King Kong like attacks you. It's and the, and all the advertisements were just so like actually like frightening to me as a younger child. I mean, now they have the Simpsons mm-hmm. and you know all these and Harry Potter, and I feel like it's a little more like. But back in the day, especially, I was like, I don't want to go there. A fucking giant shark's gonna attack me. I, that sounds terrifying. And it was so great to finally get to sit down and like 
A, just just do the thing where I do like ride throughs of these rides on YouTube and everybody should do that just out of sheer mm-hmm. curiosity, like especially the old ones. Yeah, Back yeah. To the, the ones Future that don't exist and, anymore. Yeah, E.T. and uh, E.T. technically still exists, actually, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, Back to the Future and uh, Jaws and King Kong, because, yeah, you can't even really experience them anymore. But also, uh, it's just fascinating, uh, you know, how, how it went down and how they built the tension and created everything and how wily it was especially for jaws at first we'll talk about it. i mean it was it was filled it was totally disastrous the opening day of universal um proper uh you know we'll get into that stuff but jake you actually got to go uh back in the 90s oh yeah 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 it really was just it felt cooler it felt uh one of the things i like basically all of my research for this uh, is through a book. Uh, you can get it on Kindle, and it's called uh, Universal versus Disney, The Unofficial Guide to Theme Park's Greatest Rivalry. And it talked about how, like, A, which we'll get into, the entire, like, theme park, especially Orlando, exists mostly out of spite. Yes. <laughs> like, the only reason it exists is almost exclusively out of spite. <laughs> but also, if Disney is about keeping the magic alive, if Disney mm-hmm. is about never letting you see the the, the seams that keep the fantasy intact. The magic of Universal is that the entire place is built specifically to be an illusion of the reality of a studio backlot. So if mm-hmm. there are a bunch of fake looking sets, that's more authentic. If a bunch of shows and rides are in a bunch of uh, like nondescript sound stages, that's more authentic because sound stages are where movies happen. And so the it, it almost works as this kind of third way theme park experience where the idea is the fantasy is we're letting you behind the scenes. So the fantasy, the magic, the illusion of it all doesn't actually have to be that strong. Yeah. And it, it manages to be this kind of. This for for a savvier theme park goer, for someone who's a little bit on the you know wiser, someone who's a little bit edgier, someone who's a little bit uh, uh, sassier, it feels more natural. It feels more enjoyable. And then, mm-hmm. of course, as the it kind of grew and became its own resort, and the Islands of Adventure, kind of uh, that whole experiment came into being. Now it's just kind of this last gasp dumping ground of all of the properties that just Disney, the conglomerate doesn't have a taste of. Totally. And also Marvel. Also, they got Marvel thanks to one of the worst one-sided deals of all time. Yeah, I, it's kind of wild how the property thing is probably the, one of the more interesting elements of Universal, like why they acquired what and when. I mean, hell, if they didn't get Harry Potter, I don't even know if they still exist in 2022. What? No, everybody loves the island of adventure known as the Lost Continent. <laughs> ah, yes, there's one thing I love. It's just amorphous Atlantis. Bullshit. That's why I traveled to Central Florida. <laughs> yeah, I and I I remember the allure of Islands of Adventure too, right around that time, where it was like, I think we were talking. I, I remember I was in Florida to visit family and we were talking about going to Disney. My brother mentioned, like, you know, we could go to Islands of Adventure. And you're right, it was like the cool kid edgier kid place to go. It was the place I, I personally truly 
wanted to go more so than Disney, which was also great. I don't even think we ended up doing either. I think in, in classic McNeely fashion, we were like, no, <laughs> we let's just, just stay fought home. in the parking lot of SeaWorld yeah. until it was time to go home. Exactly. I, so I never got to experience back in the day, but you did, Jake. I was asking you earlier. So what was that like 90s Universal like? And I personally got to visit uh, Universal Hollywood's literally like 15 minutes drive away from me, by the way. It's like kind of insane. So I've been I've been there since I've uh, been out, moved out here. But uh, Jake, what was it like now with the wild 90s? So I I went as a small kid. So like after we got done with like the Back to the Future ride in Nickelodeon Studios, there's a lot of like very bizarre kind of stuff where it's like, oh, my parents are excited because there's two guys in suits pretending to be the Blues Brothers <laughs> singing like a bunch of uh, uh, Motown hits. Mm-hmm. And I am a child and I don't know what any of this is. I know nothing of Dan Aykroyd. Uh, the movie sets and a lot of the movie tours, I remember being like, no, nobody makes movies here. This is a theme park. Why are you pretending this is where movies happen? And they'd be like, no, we made movies like the direct-to-television cable film, uh, Sandra's Delight. And I'm just like, that's not a real movie. What are you doing? Uh, but there was just everything that Disney didn't do was there. There was monsters and there was Hanna-Barbera's like weird motion ride. and Right, the, the cartoony stuff. Yeah. But what was that all like? Well, that, that was the motion theater is brilliant because they like built that whole attraction specifically to switch out the attraction without having to like refurbish everything and demolish everything. Now I think it's a Minions. Um, yeah, yeah. But well, it's like the same screen, the, the same chairs. They just switch mm-hmm. out the movie and the program. Totally. Yeah, we watched actually the Minions experience on our study session, $50 a month on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. And that was really cool uh, to see for sure in a ridiculous Minions way. I also love the those like recordings of the experience where you get to hear the background chatter and like the corny dad being like, <laughs> uh-oh, what's this going to be? Or like, oh, God, why? You know, they're kind of making fun of it, but then it's like... Very fun. It's so authentic, those YouTube videos. And uh, most specifically, it was an add-on day to an existing Disney World vacation. Oh, okay. That it was always the Universal... Uh, trip was like, well, while we're in town, we'll travel 10 Might miles Might as well up go to Universal. And, and make now it a four-day thing instead of a three-day thing. And now it's starting to shift as the, once Harry Potter hit, it actually started to shift and people were going specifically for the Harry Potter world experience oh. and then like tacking it on, which is kind of fascinating. The uh, I just found, I was literally cramming up until the second we hit record and I just found out about the... Uh, Hogwarts Express train. So if you yes. buy a pass to both the Islands of Adventure, which has uh, Islands of Adventure has Hogsmeade and Universal Studios has Diagon Alley. If you That's buy how passes they get you. to both, That's how they get you. you get to take the exclusive train between both uh, attractions. Yep, that's right. But you can't take the Hogwarts. Ex- you can only go to one Harry Potter thing if you only buy a pass to one I couldn't park. Be- I couldn't believe when I heard that because they're like, yeah, they got a way bigger one in Florida. Man, you got to go. But you have to get tickets to both parks, which is so much money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, that is pretty cool, though, that you could take the train. I've been recently to Universal Studios Hollywood, as I just said, and I really enjoyed it. That that, uh, Revenge of the Mummy ride was really cool, which is kind of funny because I had like no interest in that IP, but that ended up being one of my favorite things I did there. Simpsons 
Homeland's great. Going to Moe's Tavern is so fun. And I didn't get that was the one ride I didn't get to do was like the Simpsons kind of because it's like an interactive movie experience. I watched the ride along for the Simpsons ride. I've never actually been on it. And it is it's way less engaging than Back to the Future. Uh Back to the Future of the ride. You can watch even the original like just piece of movie they made for it is is really interesting it's so yeah. much more interesting it uses all these amazing stop motion and miniature effects and like the simpsons ride is just very dated cg with like a bunch of dumbass modern homer jokes i was like kind of like echt by it yeah and it was a really long wait and we were kind of on our way out anyways it was like we could either wait a really long time to get this ride in or we can just call it here and so i left but harry potter world at at universal hollywood was so much fun we got a wand we did that whole the wand experience was super cool because it's an experience you go into this shop and the shop teacher like guides you through this thing and one person in the tour like gets a wand at that part and then they dump you into like the major wand area and you can you, you know, somebody in all Harry Potter garb walks up to you and it's like, what are you looking for? And, you know, uh, we got a wand for Lexi and you get to actually like talk to the shop person and be like, this is a, they'll ask you a bunch of questions about your personality and about your life and things like that. And then hand pick a wand for you. And it's really, really cute. Um, and you uh, know, you, you if know, uh, I ever make my way to Japan, I got to go to Universal Studios Japan because they have like eight different anime attractions. They got a Sailor Moon World. They got Attack on Titan rides. They got. Oh, yeah. And of yeah, course, hell yeah. the only completed Super Mario Land so in far, the world at the moment. I'm I'm so excited when they build that here. I'm absolutely going to go and it's going to be so great. Uh, but yeah, Harry Potter was great. We we did the rides there. The, you know. You drank the butter beer. Yeah, drank the butter beer. Did what all that stuff. What does the butter stuff. beer taste like? It's delicious, and you can put booze in it. What you can go to the so you get the butter beer, and then you can take it over to the bar at the. It's at the three broomsticks. And yeah, and they'll put bo- they'll put like bourbon in it, which like is you have amazing. To hand it to them, where they give you just yeah. like a little thing of booze, and you, you like, like give it to you give it to them, and they like add booze to it, and they just like pour Jameson right into the middle. Of it's kind of it's kind of great. It's kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, also uh, what we did the flight of the hippogriff roller coaster which is really cute kind of a smaller more kid friendly one and then harry potter and the forbidden journey is this kind of wild uh i believe that's the one right yeah it's like this wild uh dark ride but you're dangling and it's moving you around and the way they do the screens makes you feel weirdly immersed i don't know what the trick is there oh, but the you trick just... with that one is the uh car it's or the flying bench or whatever they want to use it in the reality is attached to one of those like big industrial arms, like the kind they used to make uh, robots. And there is a dome shaped screen in front of the car yes. that moves with the car and moves uh-huh. in conjunction. So the footage on the dome in front of you is blocking your view. So you can't see all the other cars like booping around. And then when it's time to like show you a live action prop or something, they'll like, flip it away and you'll be like, oh, and then they'll put it back in front of you. Yeah. But you're like literally being carried through the air on this like robot. Yeah. And so my whole story with that one was the first time we we got to ride it twice. And I'll explain why we we, uh, were riding it. And really early on, the whole thing just went dark and everything stopped. And we are like 
pretty suspended mm-hmm. really high in the air. Then everything started up again, but the screens didn't work. So it was this weird broken oh. ride experience where just the animatronic stuff was like kind of flying at you and you were like, I wonder, I think you were even hearing things, but you weren't seeing anything. So you were completely lost in terms of like the actual experience. And it was so jarring. And I remember it stopped for just a little too long for my liking and we're just dangling. I'm like, if these, these like harnesses release, I'm going to fall really mm-hmm. far to the ground which uh, you're pretty sure that's not going to happen but it's a scary thought because we were like leaning forward mm-hmm. at that point so like you would just drop like yeah. if the harness is released. Oh I didn't know that part of the story. I thought oh, you were I just started like gritty. breathing kind of heavily and like I started like doing breathing exercises to like not have a complete flip out because that was one of the first times that ever happened to me on a ride where I was like actually getting genuinely worried and then yeah it started up again went through but the whole time I'm just kind of nervous now the whole time I'm like not in it I'm like and then we get off and Natalie's like hey when that happens you get to ride it again I was like oh great that experience that just made me very upset I can't wait to do it again and then it worked for us the next time now and it was a lot more fun and we got to experience the the real ride but um I had a great time. I love Universal theme parks. Uh, my one experience with Universal theme parks, and it, before that, it was always this Forbidden Fruit. So it was so much fun to get to learn more and more about it, and especially its early beginnings are fascinating. Shall we get into it, Jake? Yes, we shall, Holden. Uh, let me tell you about a little man named Carl Lemley. Okay, Carl Lemley was a, a German American immigrant who uh, kind of. Did a few like salesman jobs, managed a few retail stores, and uh, somewhere around the 1900s, he got a bug up his butt for a little newfangled technology called the motion picture. He visited a nickel Odeon uh, complex in Chicago and noticed that the people there were addicted to the strange flickering screen that was held within. And he thought to himself, hey, wait a minute. This seems like a very easy thing I can sell to lots of people for a lot of money. At some point, I will say he managed to go to a doctor and have the butt bug extracted. It had grown uh, about 10 times the size of mass. They had to fight. They literally had to wrestle the bug to its death, the doctor and uh, Carl. It was unbelievable, but uh, to the point where you really can't believe it. But yes, he he you know he started out uh, as a bookkeeper uh, until he visited the Nickelodeon for the first time and decided to quit his job and open his first motion picture house in Chicago. Uh, This job led to him producing his own movies, which led to him moving to the San Fernando Valley. Well, it's a little more complicated than that uh, because the motion pictures patents company in 1909 started cracking down on all these independent movie theaters because they claimed along, you know, this is literally Thomas Edison and company being like, hey, we invented... The technology of camera with shutter moves really fast with a long spool of film to capture all the images all at once. You owe us royalties for this. And so Lemley did what a lot of uh, movie production companies started to do. They just ran the fuck off to the West Coast so that they couldn't like be caught and it was too hard to enforce the patents. And what Lemley did that was different than a lot of other studios is instead of just building like an office building and a couple of uh, sound stages, he made an entire fucking city. He bought out a like hundreds of acres of ranch uh, ranchland and just started building costume shops and commissaries and stages and prop makers and 
blacksmiths. And he even at one point relocated an entire tribe of Native Americans to move onto the property so that he had a constant supply of quote unquote Indians for his cowboy and Indian pictures. Yeah, town is right, Jake. It had its own police department. It had its own mayor. There was a working farm and the grounds also held a zoo. And it just got to the point where it was like, we have like a full operation here. We should probably try to not just make films here, but also make money off of visitors coming through to check it out. So in 1915, uh, Limley opened the ranch to the public so that folks could not only witness the film productions, but also they could get a box lunch with chicken and the option to purchase fresh produce from the farm, uh, as well as the petting zoo. The Lemley was so streamlined that, yes, he used the chicken ranch that existed on the property when he bought it to provide the chicken lunches and he sold eggs on the side. Like every single thing he could do to make money, he would make money. This is like one of these Mm -hmm. great industrialist guys. And the thing is, of course, back in uh, 1912, 1913, 1914, 1915, when he was just like being like, well, here we can get a nickel out of rubes that are like, you know, just interested in movies anyway. uh, These were all silent films. And so the audiences were actually encouraged to shout and applaud and cheer as if they were watching a stage play. And it helped the actors feel like they were like more involved with everything because there was no audio. There was literally like imagine going to a movie set now and just start whooping like a fucking maniac when you see an actor appear like you would be arrested. But it was a perfect system. And the only thing that kind of uh, harshed the vibe was the fact that the talkies was invented. The fucking uh, the jazz singer came out and all of a sudden you had to like actually be quiet on the set. And so Mm -hmm. that uh, that particular tradition of having live audience members come to see movies being made was kind of done away with. What makes the Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea or a deep tissue massage at the spa. Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint, excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay, and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival, choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So it all shuts down. Cut to 1964. And after seeing Walt Disney have success with their tram tour business, new owners, MCA, which stands for Music Corporation of America, by the way. Which has its own crazy story of how they got started and became an entertainment powerhouse. They offered the same thing at their Universal Studios Hollywood. For $2.50 a pop, visitors could ride on the pink and white striped uh, glamour trans and check out a costume collection, watch a makeup demo, walk through a star's dressing room, take in a Western stunt show, and even get a chance to buy lunch at the studio commissary. So the commissary is actually where all this started. The reason why Universal Pictures actually started letting people back in 
was because the studio was hitting just one of the many bumps in the road that happens, you know, uh, bubbles, recessions, American capitalism. You got to love it. You literally got to. You don't have a choice. You got to <laughs> love it. And one of just the uh, managers there, one of just the facilities managers was like fucking tired of like seeing the unused commissaries on, you know, just wasting money. And so he teamed up with a bus tour and said, listen, people love seeing, you know, go the, the homes of the stars and like passing by the studio. We'll let you into the gates and you can do a little loop around the back lot if you drop people off to eat and pay for food at the commissary. So they sold him an overpriced cafeteria lunch. They sold him souvenirs and got him out the door. And it became an incredibly popular tourism destination to take the the bus tour that also goes to the Universal Studios back. Another fun way that they cut costs were actually uh, t- for staffing purposes, they would offer volunteers the chance to partake in the different scenes throughout the show so they didn't have to hire more performers. So you also, some people, lucky volunteers got to actually join these little mini productions. Right. The tour would change depending on what was filming where and in order to make up for when much of the backlot would be closed for filming at certain points throughout the year, they started adding these like little attractions throughout the ride. Um, the biggest one was this flash. The biggest first one was this flash flood scene in 1968 that they added. Um, they, it was just this like crazy. You can actually see some uh, footage of this. It, it just you know this mass amount of water would surround the tram car and all of a sudden it was like it was like if it fit in line with everything else it was like here's our special effects demo just Mm -hmm. like we gave you a demo of the makeup and costumes and all this kind of stuff so it kind of fell in line with that but then they started theming them a little bit more to like the films that they were putting out so there was a parting of the red sea scene which was tied to the film The Ten Commandments. That was in 1973. There was a collapsing bridge in 1974. There was this ice tunnel in 1975, which is currently uh, the Mummy, a the Mummy themed tunnel that they did, and just all these different like sensory exper- experiences to fill out this tour to make it feel more worth their while, especially as they were able to show less and less actual films being made. Now, the location of Universal City also really helped its kind of uh, 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 idealness as a tourist destination. It's like almost it's accessible to like eight different freeways. It has tons of uh, land that was just slowly chipped away at to make room for new attractions and new stops on the tramway. And it was uh, just people went to Hollywood specifically because they love movies and like for all of your like waiting around the outside of the Brown Derby, hoping Gene Kelly doesn't punch you in the face. Yeah, if you just had family in town, they're like, we want to see the magic of the movies. You can just take them on this bespoke experience. It was definitely more of a tourist destination than a local amusement zone, which Disneyland had kind of like, like 50% of the people in Disneyland at any given time is a local like Los Angeles area resident. Whereas Mm -hmm. Universal Studios was just like, people taking their friends and families to see the movie stuff. Right. And as Disney was having more and more success, especially with the opening of their theme park in Orlando, Universal decided they would maybe try to build something also in Florida to compete with this Disney World thing going on. Talks start in 1982, but it's a lot of starts and stops. So they had tons of hurdles. Number one is that Disney World 
is under the jurisdiction of the Reedy Creek uh, residential Omni, it's just Disney legislating what Disney can do. I think we get into that more in our Epcot episode. If you oh, want to absolutely. know more specifically about like that whole crazy jurisdiction thing that happened uh, for sure. Whereas Universal had to actually deal with the government of Orlando, the city. And so they kept having these back and forths with the land usage, environmental surveys, it was uh, they couldn't tell the landowners who they were because they didn't want to, like, get the word out. And it basically boiled down to um, the governor of Florida at the time desperately wanted more movie production in the state. And so they hoped that Universal's promises that it would be just like Universal City, a combination theme park and movie studio that would like secure it. But there was tons of back dealing. Another thing that was happening is by this point, uh, Universal was run by uh, Sidney Sheinberg, who we've talked about a couple of times in uh, various Steven Spielberg episodes, legendary movie bigwig suit, and uh, Lou Wasserman, who was a protege of Carl Lemley. And for a very long time, they kneecapped the Florida project because they demanded that they find a partner. Uh, I believe it was uh, Joey Stein. I want to say Joey Stein was the guy at Universal in charge of getting it off the ground. Whatever. I'll I'll never know it for sure. Joe Stein. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he could not get anybody to agree to put down 50% of the risks and the costs of this thing. Because it was either like, well, if this is such a surefire hit, why do you need a partner? Or just like... No, uh, we're not in the theme park business. What's wrong with you? Meanwhile, other theme parks like SeaWorld had gotten off the ground. Knott's Berry Farm was growing constantly. Disney was doing Disney World. And in 1982, in one of the many, many meetings that had been set up to try and find a partner in a beautiful complex made to like pitch this where there was like projector screens all over the place. It was like this entire building made to wine and dine potential partners for Universal Studios. Uh, the team at Universal sat down with the team at Paramount Pictures, another classic movie studio. And the uh, one of the people at that meeting was Michael Eisner, who just a couple years later ended up becoming the president of Disney. Yes. And wouldn't you know it, Michael Eisner, one of the first things he did after he he became the president of Disney and heard the pitch for a Universal Studios theme park, uh, immediately set out to make the MGM Studios theme park in Disney World, specifically to fuck them over. Here begins the real fucking uh, competition, the real spark of uh, a feud that would last for decades and is still ongoing. I mean, that is some major shots fired. On on Universal's side, one thing that really helped them gain some traction with a Florida project was their uh, success with a experience they opened in L.A. in 1986 called the King Kong Encounter, also known as the Confrontation 
Nation. This ride is based on the 1976 film starring Jeff Bridges, Listen to our King Kong series, if you'd like to know more about that. And it had more story elements than previous tram encounters, as riders followed news and police helicopters, as Kong terrorized the New York City backlot sets in the studio. You had that very much so these story elements that they'd been lacking before, actual actors on screens presenting, you know, pretending to be reporters and stuff like that, presenting a, uh, an actual through line to the whole thing. The ride ended up uh, actually being destroyed in a fire in 2008 and it was never rebuilt. However, many fans protested enough, so they put up a new King Kong ride in 2010 called King Kong 363D. Um, but the uh, the ride was designed by Bob Gurr, who created most of the original Disneyland attractions. The train was designed by Aerodynamics. They previously designed the Matterhorn bobsleds. The Kong animatronic was 30 feet tall, boasted 660 pounds of fur, but the kicker was, as Jake mentioned in the intro, that banana breath. That's right. That's the sort of sensory fun thing that they continue to explore. It definitely set a, a precedent for what they could achieve moving forward, and that is especially so because of the involvement of Steven Spielberg. Uh, there was another r- really strong experience they had called Earthquake, based off of the film Earthquake, and Steven Spielberg enjoyed that experience so much they simulated a full-on earthquake, essentially, right? So this is one of those great little coincidences of history, is while there's so much bullshit happening between uh, Eisner and the team at Universal, backbiting articles in the Los Angeles Times, uh, Eisner refusing to admit he was at that original pitch meeting, multiple sources coming out of the woodwork to be like, no, we have the logs. He was there and multiple. Absolutely. At one point, Eisner waterboarded the daughter of the president of universal just as a funny joke. (laughs) And the president at the time was like, I don't find child torture funny. It was a whole uh, crazy situation. So they were doing, like you said, they were making still expanding the experiences in the Hollywood park. And late one night, Uh, I believe it was uh, Peter Alexander was uh, working on the Mm -hmm. giant King Kong figure for the tram tour. And in came Steven Spielberg, who was brought in by Sidney Sheinberg to just kind of like be a guiding hand. And he starts talking to the crew and he realizes that um, Alex, the the, one of the guys working on the project, uh, what was the name again? Peter Peter Alexander. Alexander. They were roommates. They were roommates in college, and Spielberg was the best man at his wedding. And it was that connection that, like, kind of put Spielberg all in. And I believe his the the famous line was, uh, "If you can guys, if you guys can do this with uh, King Kong, why don't you guys see what you can do with Back to the Future?" And that gave like uh, that gave Universal its Disney-like imagination leader, this kind of like larger-than-life figure that could lend their like knowledge of the what gets the rubes going. But we needed one more competitive moment to happen to really add the fuel to the fire that gave us the success of Universal Studios theme parks. And that was George Lucas, who was working heavily <laughs> with Disney on their theme park attractions. Lucas got uh, Lucas was doing uh, Star Tours for mm-hmm. Disney. It was huge success. All this kind of the interactive uh, film experience. You had all the, you know, the characters walking around. What if you're in around. a little car and shit 
shit happens to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was Lucas who uh, was hanging out with Spielberg one time. He was just like, Star Tours is awesome. It's better than anything you fucking ever do over Universal. You fucking idiots over there. Universal can't do shit. You can't do shit. The quote do this I cocaine is, with me right uh, now. Do this cocaine with me, right? Uh, Spielberg said, I just had a discussion with George Lucas, and George said, well, it's too bad you're hooked up with Universal because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and the next day, uh, Alexander Alexander was called into Sidney Scheinberg's office for a Spielberg debriefing meeting and got like the full rundown of everything they wanted to do. And he was like in for a penny, in for a penny. And there were three films they wanted to base rides and experiences off of. And those films were Jaws, E.T., and Back to the Future. Shall we start with Jaws? Oh, let's split? start with Jaws. So the original version of the Jaws ride was a little different. Um, it's kind of wild what they were doing with the whole Jaws. I mean, it does add this crazy element. You're on a boat in water and stuff is happening. There are animatronics and stuff. It just seems like the, like there's more possibility for failure at every mm -hmm. turn in that way. It's just not controlled in the same way of I'm in a movie theater in a little car and oh, stuff's happening to when me. When they added the... Wait, are you talking... Are you starting with Jaws in the Hollywood tour, or are you starting with the This is where it gets ride? really confusing. Yeah, well you, you, well, you break it down for well, us maybe a little bit. From the get-go, the Jaws segment of the tram tour in Hollywood was a shit show because they were basing everything on the effects from the movie, which famously broke down constantly and didn't yes. work. <laughs> also, this is hilarious. I don't know. You might be driving. Don't take your, Don't pick up your phone and crash your car. But uh, the model builder for the original Jaws uh, attraction in Hollywood was basing it off of the movie poster, which has very cartoonish shark features, including giant, like monster sized teeth. And if you look up like 1979 Universal Hollywood tour Jaws, you will see the goofiest fucking clown of the sea you've ever seen. Apparently, the, the robot was affectionately known as Carrot Tooth. Uh, by uh, ride guides back in the day. So they by, by the time we got to the 80s, they had kind of smoothed that whole part out. And yet still, still the ride was broken. Um, and it yeah, it didn't work on opening day. It actually boils down to the fact that like Universal had no experience with like, tr honest to God, ride engineering. They could yeah. set up these like bespoke little experiences during the tram tour, but they really were just like picking and like clawing at whatever just dandruff flakes sloughed off imagineering to like help design all this stuff for them to the point where for the original day of opening, there was only one key engineer responsible for all the rides at once. And he only had one assistant. So it's like a miracle anything worked that day. Absolutely. So I guess, am I talking about the, the I'm talking about the Florida side of things. The initial version of the Florida ride, the shark would take a bite out of the boat and try to spin it around, which almost never worked. And sometimes the shark would even actually damage the boat because they used to have actually sharp teeth, <laughs> which is insane. Uh, the ending of the original incarnation of the ride, the shark would get shot by the tour guide with a grenade launcher, The and parts of the shark would fly out of the water, which would then be circulated back into the ride, which, again, just sounds so chaotic and insane to, 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 to you know, yeah, by you today's just gotta standards. you got to make sure that 50 times a day, the pneumatic shark gut vacuum works. <laughs> 
So yeah, also, um, yeah, this was for the Florida one. The year it opened in July, the, a guy actually fell out of the boat during the ride. A father who was there with his kids. Unfortunately, he happened to fall into one of the deeper parts. So that's the other thing. Most of the waters are four feet deep, but everywhere where there's a terrifying mechanical shark, it's like eight to ten feet deep. Mm-hmm. And it's so scary because also, God knows you don't want to be anywhere near that animatronic because Lord knows there's all these gears and crazy <laughs> oh, things that could crush you're you. You're begging for death. So, so uh, yeah, he ends up falling in one of the deeper parts. Then the animatronic shark starts swimming towards him. His own kids start screaming, the shark's going to eat daddy. The shark's going to eat daddy. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all, We've all been, been there. there. Uh, and as he was pulled back into the boat, he actually got a round of applause from the passengers who thought that this was just part of the experience. He later sues Universal for $1 million over the incident, but the Jaws is like the Murphy's Law of the the whole Universal theme park experience. And it makes sense. I mean, so many variables, just dealing with boats on water or if even you're in show trams business, getting flooded. Yeah. Don't fuck with underwater robots unless you're James Cameron. That's the rule. Yes. James yes. Cameron is the only director slash showman that is capable of mastering underwater robotics. So they decide to change up the ride after two months to fix it, which took a few years after they brought in a, a different group of designers to completely remake it. They removed the shark biting the front of the boat and uh, the grenade launcher stuff. They instead have the shark bite into a high voltage wire to meet its end with it resurfacing all mangled and gross. Um, they added some pyro. Uh, they actually extensively test the pyro so that the audiences could feel the flames without actually getting burned. And there were actually several uh, go, uh, uh, park goers that would complain that the flames actually burned them, but it was apparently just like sunburn. I mean, could you imagine getting sunburned out in the park and that that heat, Florida or LA heat, that that fire would just like make you so, it would just make you think you totally got like second degree burns or whatever. I'm, this is, I, I'm not turning this record, this comedic history podcast recording session into a therapy session, but like, please reach out to me on social media if anything I say, when I feel intense heat, when I feel like either like I my head gets too close to the oven when I'm like baking cookies or like there's some or just um, there's a light bulb that's too, whenever I feel extreme heat on my face, my primordial memory is I'm back in Universal Studios like that wow. is where the oh, my skin is too hot. Is like wow. dates back. It's like my formative memory of like, oh, fire bad is Universal Studios. If anybody else feels the same way, please let me know and let me know I'm not crazy. That's wild. Yeah. The the ride lasted for many years, but was eventually retired. Thanks, Harry Potter. More on that later. So uh, they also had the E.T. Adventure. Uh, this probably had the most involvement from Please Spielberg himself. Please listen to our E.T. episode to really get in. There's so much bullshit with this ride that I've like the lore of everything. The it's green so planet, weird. all this shit. I'll hit a couple of things for sure. Spielberg does like a whole intro for the ride. Uh, the build itself was similar. If you ever rode that Peter Pan ride at Disney with riders all sitting in carts, each they were modeled after like the bicycle scene in E.T. So you're all kind of on your own 
individual bicycle, but uh, all attached to like uh, different uh, one cart riding through. Uh, and they they had a ton of you know animatronics and per- props and screens. And the ride actually pulls from that weird sequel novel, which again, yes, we talked about in our ET episode. ET needs to get back to his home planet, the Green Planet, because it's dying, and his like mentor is trying to lead him back. What's his name? Burbacular or I don't Barbicola. remember. I blocked all of that shit out, and it was my job to know it. <laughs> a fun element of the show. I think we again talked about this in the ET episode, but you would uh, start off giving your name to the attendant at the beginning of the ride, and an animatronic ET on your as the ride is ending thanks you by name as you pass. And, and that was for one the of the longest big time. I thought it was a text to speech thing. But that technology did not exist. Like, it would have sounded really robotic and bad. They just pre-recorded thousands and thousands of names. That's crazy. I mean, was there There must have been a time when the, there was a name that they didn't have in their database. I mean, they just call you, like, cool guy. Thanks, bro. <laughs> bro? What the fuck? Uh, but yeah. My name's uh, Menachem. Why can't he <laughs> pronounce Menachem? In 2003, the ride was closed to make room for the park's Return of the Mummy ride. However, Spielberg made a huge stink about this and threatened to cut ties with Universal if they didn't at least keep the ride in their Florida park. It's actually the only opening day attraction that is still there. However, there's a lot of talk that the new Mario stuff may change that. Um, That is fascinating. That is that there is actually an opening day ride still in existence in one of the parks is kind of amazing. It feels it's like what is the Universal equivalent of it's a small world you know what i mean yeah when the ip is king does is anything more sacred than just like q score and viral like uh common mind share and it's funny you say that because it actually ends in a very it's a small world way it starts like kind of scary mm-hmm. and tense and by the end it's like the, they make it to the green planet so it literally becomes it's a small world with all these like happy little et creatures like singing and dancing and shit so that's why you bring that one up and uh, to round it out uh you had the back to the future experience which hit the scene and mm-hmm. so just to just to clarify a thing On opening day, this is one of the great disasters of modern day theme park history. Several, the Jaws ride was barely functional. The ET ride was broken down for a second. Confrontation was broke down for a second. Uh, The computer control for the King Kong robot was broken and individual like ride operators were like on the fly trying to like operate the machine by hand, hoping they didn't knock into the trams. Uh, Thousands of people were just kind of left waiting online for the sole, like, functioning attractions. There was a whole celebrity star-studded event, and people were, like, hounding the streets for the celebrity guests and mad that they didn't just, like, get to take their photos with people. It was a unmitigated disaster, actually, and it really did a ton of negative uh, press for Universal Studios. In fact, Disney put out a uh, ad in a Florida newspaper, basically gloating over the fact uh, after the disastrous opening, where it just said, welcome Universal Studios Florida. What's good for tourism and entertainment is good for Central Florida. And it just has a little dumb Mickey Mouse just smiling on it. (laughs) Yeah, you posted in our little chat here. That's interesting. And it wasn't until... The Back to the Future ride finally finished in 1991, as well as the uh, Nickelodeon Studios open for business 
that in 1992 that the uh kind of the 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 people finally came back uh that people finally like actually gave it another shot to rave reviews because they fixed jaws they fixed earthquake they fixed all of these things they fixed confrontation and finally years after they broke you know they opened the gates which by the way fun side story the universal studios gates Universal Studios in Hollywood doesn't have big opulent gates. They just copied the Paramount Studio gates mm. and just kind of wink winked. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you go to the Universal Studios theme park in Orlando, you're really walking through Paramount's gates. Anyway, while this is happening, MGM Studios has been around for years at this point and works properly, although uh, everybody who goes there to film movies hates it because uh, unlike Universal Studios, which kind of just uses like, hey, come see movies be made as like barely, you know, if it happens to be happening in a place where tourists can see, which it rarely did. Like you could kind of just poke your head and go like, oh, wow, they're making a movie. Uh, filmmakers, animators, all these people had like designated just they were just fish in an aquarium and they fucking hated just having their like work be just a tourist uh, attraction. <laughs> it was incredibly disruptive. It was a terrible way to make art. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, yeah. So going back to the Back to the Future ride, as you said, it hit the scene in 1991 it was initially going to be a roller coaster. They decided it would be way too fast moving to properly tell a story. Then they decided to create a motion simulator, much like George Lucas and Disney's Star Tours. Uh, effects master Douglas Trumbull's entertainment design workshop was hired to make the film, which was shot for Omnimax dome screens. Trumbull worked on films such as 2001 A Space Odyssey, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Blade Runner. And there were also mar- mock DeLoreans writers got, uh, got in that would move around, kind of like the bikes for ET, and it was the largest ride simulator ever created. Uh, unlike the Jaws ride, this experience, as you said, it opened without major tech issues, and it was the thing that really, like you said, brought people back to the park. It was replaced by that Simpsons ride, by the way. So you can no longer. I would say if there's like one thing to go on YouTube and look up, mm-hmm. check that out uh, for sure. Um, and then moving over, as you just mentioned, oh, oh, do you want to say anything else about Back to the Future? The pre-ride segments of the yes. Back to the Future ride is an amazing, like it's almost like its own canonical sequel to the movie. Tons of actors come back in various roles. Um, originally. The plot involved like Doc Brown's evil twin brother, but they changed that and was like, let's just make it Biff. Biff was the bad guy in Back to the Future. Yeah. We'll just use Biff. Um, They're famously, famously during one of the segments in uh, Hill Valley is uh, there is a coffee cup that you can see on the on the city block on the city streets that was left while they were doing the fly through through the miniature city Uh it's brilliant one of the things they did that's actually kind of genius is they separated the ride into two separate omnimax dome screen areas uh where multiple deloreans were all kind of stacked on top of each other it was always fun on that ride where if you like leaned your head out the side of the car, you could see all the other DeLoreans all bouncing around in unison. Yeah. Yeah. To break but they that separated K-fabe, them yeah. into two separate uh, bespoke theaters with their own banks of DeLoreans. So if anything ever went wrong, the other theater could still be operational and one failure wouldn't shut the whole thing down, which is a lesson they learned from a lot of the beginning stuff. Yes, 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 yes. Another thing 
is from this early awkward era is uh, they had so much empty space and empty buildings while they were refurbishing so many of the rides that they actually, this is where Fright Nights and Horror Nights came into being because they could let people in at night and construct these kind of smaller temporary amusements and attractions to let people in and kind of make use of the space and make use of the park, which otherwise would be collecting dust while they were just redesigning a lot of these rides from scratch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was born from uh, a little bit of necessity and also helped with Universal's edgier kind of teen-focused thing. And the Horror Nights did an amazing thing that uh, had hounded Universal uh, Hollywood, which is it became a staple for just local Florida culture. Like Universal Horror Nights became a classic Halloween tradition for the people of Orlando that otherwise wouldn't be like just rolling into Universal Studios on a casual afternoon. And and it was during the (laughs) fall, which is a bullshit time because kids are up. Still in school and they're not on holiday break yet. So it just answered, it just solved so many problems and it was born out of necessity. Sorry. Yeah, no, fuck it. Let's actually get a little more into Halloween Horror Nights so we don't jump around too much uh, 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 on stuff. So I have that at the end. Let's uh, let's get in there. Initially dubbed Fright Nights, Universal first had three Halloween theme park nights in October of 1991, which offered just one haunted house and it was titled The Dungeon of Terror. <laughs> Uh, It was rebranded to Halloween Horror Nights in 1992, and it offered up two houses and a maze, with Bill and Ted's excellent uh, Halloween adventure being a big hit for the park. This ended up running for 26 years, this little show, which is crazy. Almost weren't saying that they eventually retired it at that point, because it was so just long-running and such a popular thing for you know regular park goers. In 1994, they started up a ghoul school, uh, where they trained scare actors, a popular element of their Pledge of Allegiance went, I pledge of allegiance to the hag and to the mayhem for which she stands. They were very dedicated. The the designated scare zones was actually kind of a brilliant thing. Yes. Where even if you didn't want to wait in line for a haunted house or for one of the live shows, you could just walk around these designated areas just filled with scare actors doing crazy stuff. I believe uh, one of the more famous uh, long-running teams is the chainsaw drill team that does the old gag of running at you with a chainsaw at full but without the chain so it can't hurt you (laughs) i mean it could if they wanted to one of those actors figure out a way yeah yeah (laughs) what makes a carnival cruise fun that's up to you maybe it's a ride on boat a roller coaster at sea or a deep tissue massage at the spa creole inspired cuisine at emerald's bistro to laid back bites at guy's burger joint Excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival, choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They started introducing lore, starting with Jack the Clown. 
Yes, yes. First of all, they had uh, themes uh, starting in 1995. That that was more licensed stuff. Tales from the Crypt was their first major theme for the whole thing. Uh, but yes, in the year 2000, they started creating elaborate backstories for their original park characters. Jack the Clown was the first big one. He was a murdering carnival clown named Jack Schmidt, who was killed and kept inside a jack-in-the-box for years until he was accidentally unleashed. Uh, and that's just one of many staple characters characters and i think that's one of the more fascinating things you brought it up in the beginning of the show but that they did start creating like that's how much people fucking love halloween horror nights that they would be be wanting to be invested in like the different scare monsters that frequent the park and want to know their backstories and and they continue the story he ends up with like a evil twin brother or Uh, something i believe it's a son I believe it's his son. demented son, and and he he becomes into the mix, and and they had this whole they had this whole oh no uh, younger brother Eddie was his evil younger yes. brother. There's also the storyteller, the evil haunted Cindy, the pallbearer, yes. uh, the d- evil movie director, the evil uh, all this shit, and they would like do reiterations. They would do like kind of the adventures of fake horror characters, mm-hmm. and there was an amazing line. In one of the many, many, many uh, YouTube uh, theme park history video essays that I watched where it was like uh, starting in the 2010s, uh, they, they um, kind of kind of went back on the original lore and started using more uh, or like uh, known properties such as The Walking Dead. And fans didn't like this. Although it yeah, did have yeah. record attendance, which is such like a like a nerd thing to be like, they ruined it by making it incredibly more popular with less <laughs> weird shit for normal people. Yeah, I have it here that it was starting around 2007. They were bringing in, you know, Freddy, Freddy Krueger actually apparently was there in the first year, but still they were kind of leaning more into a Freddy Krueger, Leatherface, Jason Voorhees franchises like Scream, The Walking Dead, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, and more. They started they started um, leaning on that stuff a lot more around then. And uh, by 2019, they have, at least I believe this is at the Florida Park, they had 10 houses, five scare zones, and two shows. Pretty wild, uh, I, considering I, they started with just this. one house. I love me a haunted house. I oh, yeah. truly enjoy a haunted house experience. It's at one point a thrilling uh, dance with death and the macabre, as well as <laughs> a kind of charming local community theater project. It is oh, yeah. a beautiful thing to walk through a haunted house. The idea of going through 10 different haunted houses, it seems so, like how many times can you be in a cramped <laughs> hallway while a guy in a mask goes, ah, yeah. at you? Like that's a lot, right? Oh no, this guy was wearing a Resident Evil mask and this guy was wearing a Walking Dead mask. Those are two kind of jacked up zombie faces going blah. These are unique experiences. It totally sounds exhausting. I think we'll have to talk more with our theme park experts about, I mean, that's the thing, Jackie, Henry, Natalie, Ed, they love the Halloween Horror experience i've never actually done it before but i mean to the point where they like get there really early there's this whole thing where you as soon as the gates open you sprint across the park to the very back of the park so that you can start with the haunted houses at the very back and work your way to the front because those end up filling up by the end of Mm -hmm. the night and the ones near the front of the park get less later on as the night goes it's like a whole operation it's so intense um but yeah returning to the uh production studio thing 
Uh, you, you did have Nickelodeon Studios as the major, one of the biggest operations in the Orlando parks. And they actually filmed shows like Double Dare. And you got to like go tour that stuff. I watched a live filming of Get the Picture with Mike O'Malley. And it was absolutely thrilling. Nice, nice. And uh, yeah, they actually shut the tram tours down just five years into the park's run. And Nickelodeon ended up completely moving their operations to California back in 2005. They had, to, although they did leave the time capsule uh, that had the Game Boy and a bunch of other bullshit in it at the Nickelodeon mm-hmm. Hotel that they tried to open, which itself was an unmitigated disaster. We don't have time for it. We don't have time for it. They did a defunct land about it. And by the and by special, I'm glad you brought them up. Special shout outs to defunct land. You used that book you mentioned earlier. I used defunct land a lot for this. And that project is so interesting. And the guy is so doing the Lord's work there. So if you want to know more about each specific ride and even more so about Disney rides, you have to check out defunct land on YouTube. It is absolutely incredible. And they have a Patreon and everything. Um, and so, yeah, going back to the, uh, going back to universe, it was actually around the 2010s, and you can really see this with the introduction of Harry Potter, Wizarding, Wizarding World of Harry Potter. You can really see it a lot with that. They start moving a little bit away from the like fourth wall breaking, this is how movies are made approach to their rides and stuff, and a little bit more towards like full-on immersion like you get with Disney stuff. So this is, this is key to the Universal Studios formula is... Uh, They got rid of the tram ride, something that MGM stuck with for way longer than they should have because it's not real. It's why would you go to a fake (laughs) workplace? It it doesn't make any sense. Here you can – Hollywood, you can still go on the tram and see the actual – get the tour of the studios. I I missed out on that. I think it was closed down when we tried to go at that point in the day. I'm very uh, tempted for the uh, California wing of our live show tour to like see if I can make a day or sneak onto that. I'd love to try to go with you, man. I I love it. It's really fun. You Just ask Natalie. She will go immediately with you. She is dying for an excuse to go back to Universal. It's her favorite thing ever. So the idea was – the park itself is the fake backlot. You walk around the backlot and then you go into the movies through the rides that you are you the the tagline is ride the movies at Universal Studios. And so it makes sense but yeah, like yeah, as you were saying, the the idea of kayfabe was fading more and more especially with the introduction of the Islands of Adventure Park because they wanted to take Universal Studios from a extra day you tack on to your Disney World vacation to its own destination, its own bespoke resort. They want to open new hotels and they needed a whole nother chunk of theme park to make that happen. And it was originally pitched as cartoon land. Yes, because because they wanted to also at the same time Two Birds with One Stone compete with Disney's amazing Magic animation Kingdom. property, yeah. Magic Kingdom stuff that they had going on. They wanted to have an answer for that. And so yeah, they were like, "All right, we'll do cartoons, all any kind of cartoon or comic book property that Disney's not attached to. We're going to go after and try and to this try is to where secure." Things get weird to me cuz they the, the design was for five islands, five mm-hmm. distinct cartoon islands. They had one that was like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, they got, you know, the Jay Ward uh, estate to uh, agree to that. There's the uh, Dudley Do-Right, like, uh, ride there. They got uh, Theater Geisel's. Popeye. They, oh, so they got King Features Syndicate, 
which was Popeye's the biggest name, but also uh, just Blondie, like every old timey comic. But, but you're strip. naming a bunch of stuff that, like, e- even it, it may sound antiquated now. Back then, it was just as antiquated. If you know Mickey what I mean? Mouse like, is antiquated. I mean, I guess that's true. But man, I mean, you no one was talking about Dudley Do Right in what was it? Two thousand. Rocky and Bullwinkle <laughs> counts. Then the big get was Marvel, which wasn't Marvel Studios yet. You have to understand. Yeah. We've talked about it in a lot of our comic book episodes. Marvel was struggling near bankruptcy after the big comic book speculation bubble burst. And they were desperate for anybody that would give them any money whatsoever. And so Universal comes in, offers what they think is a pretty good deal. But it really was now considering the Billion, trillion dollar behemoth that Marvel Studios is. A pittance, a pittance with, uh, I believe, like a 0.03% increase year over year in their uh, fee because of like, that's what inflation was. They don't even get inflation in like now inflation. They get 1990s inflation rates. (laughs) And it was all based on the comics. And the rule was anything east of the Mississippi, they get to use for theme parks if they, from the original lot of characters and their related families that they use in Islands of Adventure. And they were brilliant in this respect because they got the Avengers with the Hulk coaster. They got all of Fantastic Four with the Doom Drop. They got a Storm ride. So they got all the X-Men and they got the Spider-Man ride, which I thought was magical at the time. But uh, I saw it with the pre-updated CG and looking at it now, it's holy shit. It's so rudimentary. But man, I mean, I didn't know this. But to this day, that's why Disney owns Marvel, and yet the definitive Marvel theme park experience is Universal Studios Island of Adventure. Really weird. I'm sure they don't care about that at all. Oddly enough, one of the character groups that was so just shat on and not worth it uh, at the time was the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is why the only Marvel presence in Disney World at the at yes. right now is the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, yeah, it's just funny to me that you say that they were like struggling so much and this and that because I think that Marvel element of Islands of Adventure was like the number one thing I wanted to experience as mm-hmm. a kid. Me too. You know, because it just uh, like yeah, it was like finally like they're they're giving the treatment to these newfangled comic books that I love so much. That's when the concept for cartoon land hits a huge bump in the road because they could not get any more rights to anything recognizable. And so now they just start winging it. They do a Jurassic park land, which is fun. That's very fun. That makes so much sense. That's a no brainer. That's an absolute no brainer. And then they still have this fifth Island and they just make it the lost continent. And it has rides like Poseidon's rage. And it's just a bunch of Atlantis bullshit. Wait, did you mention Seuss landing is so they got, did get Dr. Seuss. Yeah, okay, so we have that. And it took the widow of Dr. Seuss, uh, the the Madame Geisel, a lot of like real hardcore uh, like whining and pornography. Oh, I'm sorry. Not pornography. No, I I wouldn't be surprised if Dr. Seuss drew a bunch of hardcore pornography. It seems appropriate (laughs) to get that. That was like down to the wire. They were begging Mm -hmm. her for those rights. Because uh, she wanted to make sure that it wasn't too crass. And so they had to make it just a little more wholesome than the rest of the park. But yeah, so they're stuck with this idea of the Islands of Adventure, which is barely a theme. <laughs> they have their iconic dumb lighthouse. Uh, they bring Horror Nights to Islands of Adventure mm-hmm. just to like goose the numbers a little. 
But then that makes Universal Studios Orlando's numbers drop. So they bring it back. Then they try Horror Nights at both, which just seems like too much horror. But (laughs) even though it had an initial bump, because it was just a ton of brand new state-of-the-art theme park stuff all dropped at once, uh, the numbers start to flag. And so the Islands of Adventure is looking to be a little bit of a boondoggle. If only, if only there was some amazing world-consuming property that could help them turn it around. I think Disney would have squashed Universal like a bug if they had just fought harder to fully... They had it. They had it at their fingertips, Jake. I can't believe this story. I cannot believe there was ever a point where they everyone just knew it was going to Disney and then it fell out of their grasp. But that is exactly what happened. Uh, there are rumors starting in 2003 over the addition of a Harry Potter-themed area at either Disney or Universal. The, the catch is Warner Bros. is who owns the rights to the franchise. So Disney and Universal, they get into a bidding war. However, Uh, J.K. Rowling signs a letter of intent with Disney in 2004, which led to full-on speculation as to just where in the park it was going to take place, not who was going to get it. Disney had it. They fully had it. However, this falls through apparently because, and by the way, yes, J.K. Rowling sucks. We can get to that. We we should revise our Harry Potter episode at some point. Uh, uh, Let me just say that. Um, But uh, as an aside, but J.K. Rowling was not happy with Disney's minimal plans for the franchise. According to Disney historian Jim Hill, there were two attractions. Basically, it was going to be the Buzz Lightyear ride. You were going to be in an Omnimover attraction with a wand instead of a gun, and you were moving through basically a dark arts teaching class. The other aspect was going to be a Care of Magical Creatures petting zoo. And that was it. And, you know, apparently on top of that, they they were they were like, you know, they weren't really down. Like, Rolling One, it was a lot more, again, like, illusion, immersion, kayfabe, like full-on commitment to this is like, we're transporting you to the land of Harry Potter. Disney was just like not into that, had a bunch of rules about what needed to happen and how it all needed to go down in their parks. So then in 2007, Universal announces the Wizarding World of Harry Potter would be added to their Islands of Adventure Park. And uh, and that's uh, the rest is history. It was absolutely what not, not, not just saved the park, but actually surged their uh, their attendance so much that they for finally for once after all this time surpassed Disney's numbers. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, it was this incredible thing. In hindsight, I cannot believe Disney did not fight harder to obtain this property with all you know. I mean, maybe it's just hindsight's twenty twenty, but it just seems to me like a no brainer. If we get this property, they're done. They, and if they handled it the way that you know Universal ended up handling it, especially because it really is—I mean, you get to go, uh, you get to go to all the different pl- Gringle Goots and Rookies. You get to go to Liffy Liffy Broom House. You get to, you know, any Mister Muffle Faces Burger Bouncer, whatever. I don't know. I've well, it's been a while Continent since I read the book. Already had a just kind of bullshit medieval area. Not to say that Dueling Dragons. Did didn't rock dueling dragons rock nobody's saying Mm -hmm. dragons didn't rock uh so it was like kind of an easy thing they could just like they were they wanted shit to fill in uh lost continent and rolling kind of had like she got to make a lot of dictates such as cutting off uh what it's the it's no diagon alley is the more recent one this is uh hogsmeade uh that hogsmeade could be cut off from the rest of the 
the park so that once you enter it, you're kind of like in their zone and uh, stuff like various uh, corporate logos were, that you would normally see everywhere. Sponsorship side things were kind of tamped down or outright removed. You couldn't buy a bottle of Coca-Cola in uh, Hogsmeade because that's not where that's that, that doesn't exist in the wizard world. or Yes. Whatever. Yeah. So and obviously this was at the height of Harry Potter mania. People were just like going nuts. Nobody knew that the lady was bad yet. <laughs> so yeah, they, they, you know the Island, Islands of Adventure Wing is so successful. They added a whole nother part, like you said, to Universal Studios. You've got the tram going back and forth. This very soon leads to an attraction in their Hollywood and Japan parks as well. And it's just like it I took said me forever in the beginning. to get straight that Diagon Alley. Is the one in Hollywood in Universal Studios Orlando? Hogsmeade's the one in Islands of Adventure. Uh, at Diagon Alley, you can do the Escape from Gringotts ride, uh-huh. where uh, and you're greeted by what I can only call a bunch of anti-Semitic robots. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to get into the old bankers in the. Uh, the They're Harry just Potter greedy lore. little goblins with hook noses. What's what, <laughs> what's the harm? Badly, the lady is bad. Uh, uh, but yes, it's all these little details. I was in the park. okay with all the other phobias, but now that it affects <laughs> me, I don't like this lady especially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just all the little experiences. It, I haven't been to the Florida one, but the attention to detail is really so present and so amazing to get to explore. And it just is—you really do get a bit transported. You I, get I to absolutely eat fish and chips and drink butter beer on shit in shitty. Pl- Plastic uh, tableware, just but like- you can add booze to it, and that's all I care about. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of amazing what they did with it, and um, you know, yeah, they, it really did. Well, it kind of brought us to the present here. I think that's about all I have left in my personal notes. It 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 saved the Universal theme parks. Just for the record, attendance mm-hmm. in two thousand eight at uh, the Islands of Adventure before Harry Potter was finished. Five million a year uh, in 2018, post Harry Potter, nine million seven hundred thousand attendees. Wow, and I get it too because it is uh, they did a phenomenal job with it, and you know, and then of course uh, some even say that's why Disney went so fucking ham on their Star Wars mm-hmm. shit that they put out m- more recently. It actually is really what propelled them to create this like really cool immersive Star Wars experience that. They didn't have before. So, you know, yeah, I um, I don't know. I think that's where we're at. I would say, hey, go check out Universal Theme Parks if you've never been. The one in Hollywood's super fun. You can go, like I said, you can go fucking hang out in, in Simpsons Town. That Revenge of the Mummy ride is like shockingly incredible, you know, because I think it's uh, you know, like the mummy, you know, whatever, you know, in comparison to the other IPs. But man, that is one hell of a of a roller coaster slash dark ride. It is just so cool what they do with the special effects and everything. And yeah, it's super fun. I want to try to do Halloween Horror Nights maybe this year, I'll, uh, next year rather, twenty twenty three. I'll get to go. But uh, I think that about does it, Jake. Is there anything else you want to say about Universal before we get out of here? Uh, I'm just looking up uh, the list of uh, significant incidents on Wikipedia. And just uh, if you're near a roller coaster that is actively operating, don't go underneath it. Just don't yeah. do that. 
Uh, yeah, even if your hat goes somewhere, or just don't worry about the hat. Yeah, and if you drop your phone in the subway tracks, you know maybe you could say, actually I did dro- jump down. I dropped a book one time in the subway tracks. I jumped down and got also, it. Also, like don't a maniac. fight the scare actors at horror nights. They are actors. <laughs> they are not actually trying to eat your brains. That's just, I know. It's I'd all be so terrified to be one of those actors i cannot handle that kind of shit with dealing with random people all right well there you have it that's our episode on universal theme parks i hope you enjoyed it um and hopefully we will have a conversation with some avid theme park goer friends of ours from the network (laughs) i'm sorry on the hogwarts express ride the only incident is listed as an october 1st event in 2016 where a uh, man and a 14 year old girl were injured when his e-cigarette exploded on the ride. Ah, <laughs> very, yeah. Also, don't vape. It's lame. It's stupid. Uh, all right. Anyways, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got bonus weekly episodes, uh, and it's just $5 a month. For $15 a month, you can join us on our Discord for our Sunday study session. This uh, last time around, we just looked at a bunch of awesome like ride-throughs of different universal rides and walkthroughs of the parks. And it's so damn fun to do that. Do that with just some friends this weekend or something. It is absolute blast to go watch back all those, uh, you know, check out defunct land, check out, uh, but also all the ride throughs and stuff. They're all on YouTube, man. So definitely, definitely give that a look. Uh, And uh, check me on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash hold denators ho, twitch.tv forward slash hold denators ho. I am streaming Monday through Friday, usually once we're back from tour. Lastpodcastnetwork.com. By the time you hear this, I think we'll still have some January dates going uh austin i believe dallas is is coming back and we've got la and san francisco so get ready for that lastpodcastnetwork.com gotta press the flesh on that patreon once again it keeps the show alive your support literally is the lifeblood that keeps the shenanigans happening and uh follow me on youtube or twitch uh at puppet jared i do the thursday cartoon dumpster stream we watch a bunch of really bad weird and uh bafflingly uh, comedic cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I play your host, Puppet Jared, through the magic of VTuber avatars, and it is a genuinely good time. It's always fun when listeners of the podcast roll on in and it's like, hey, you said to check this thing out because it'd be fun, and you were right. I am having fun. Thank you. Thank you, Magic Puppet Jared, man. It's That's what I they all it. say, verbatim. It's honestly, it's an awesome stream. All right, and always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. And we'll be whizzing on you at the movies. Okay. Will we? All right. It's it's metaphorically. (laughs) This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Introducing Celebration Key, your key to paradise. Unlock Carnival's all-new exclusive destination at Grand Bahama, where you can dive into clear lagoons, try all the water sports, or unwind on a mile-long, pristine beach with breathtaking sunset views. This vacation paradise has it all. Celebration Key, welcoming guests in summer 2025. Carnival, choose fun. Copyright 2024, Carnival Corporation. All rights reserved. Ships Registry, the Bahamas and Panama. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.